Welcome to Old Walls House. It's your main man and host, Old Walls, back with you for another week. And another great week was had. We've got a great bunch of topics to talk about this week. NFL Conference Championship games were awesome. NFL playoffs are delivering. We have got the Royal Rumble to talk about. We've got a Flyers update with a little positivity to it for once. What else do we have? we got my passing thoughts. We're going to start off again with 60 seconds with MJ this week. But before we get to all that, let's just touch on a little bit of housekeeping. Thank you again, everybody, for continuing to listen and continuing to come back. I really appreciate it. Like I said last week, I'm having a blast doing this, and it's just so much fun to share this with everybody. So please rate, review, comment, subscribe, however you can do things like that. That all helps out and is awesome. And a little bit of new news. Um, I've talked to some of these people, some people already. But I'm going to get an order of t-shirts. Not going to ask you guys to pay anything up and above the cost. So whatever the cost is going to be, I think I'll be able to keep it around 20 bucks. So if you would like a t-shirt, let me know your size and how many you'd like. If you don't know me personally and you somehow stumbled upon this, you can email me at oldwallshouse at gmail.com. That's O-L-E-W-A-L-L-S-H-O-U-S-E at gmail.com. Oldwallshouse at gmail.com. So, with all that being said, let's get started, and let's go to 60 Seconds with MJ. Hey everybody, it's MJ with another edition of 60 Seconds with MJ on all Old Walls House. Where to start, man? NFL playoffs, number one, so, so good. Even when it looks like blowouts are going to happen, everything has been ending close. And I'll tell you what, for my betters out there, MJ, your boy here is on a little bit of a hot streak. Bengals by a million in the Super Bowl. Joey B going off, puffing cigars, champagne, lap dances. Give it all to him, man. Joey B doing his thing for the Bengals. You know, I know another thing Old Walls is probably going to talk about today is the Royal Rumble on Saturday. Too predictable for me. Just kind of meh. And I don't really watch anymore. Uh, But the Brock Lesnar thing, Ronda Rousey coming back was great. But, you know, it's kind of the same storyline. But again, Bengals by a million, your boy's going with it, MJ gone. MJ, as usual, with his finger on the pulse, knows kind of what we're going to be getting into. We will touch on the Royal Rumble a little bit later on, have a special guest for that. But let's start where MJ started, the Bengals and the Chiefs. Joey B and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. They went from not winning an NFL playoff game since 1991 to Super Bowl bound. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. And this game did not look like that's the way it was going to go. Right from the start, the Bengals struggled. They went three and out on their first drive. Funny enough, they had scored on their first drives of their previous two playoff games. That's the first time in this playoffs that they didn't score on their first drive, which led to the Chiefs coming right back down the field. Mahomes ends up finding Tyreek Hill in the back corner of the end zone. A great catch. He was covered by no other than Eli Apple. I know I've mentioned that name before, and it won't be the last time I mention it again today. The Bengals did find a way to answer, though. They came back, kicked a field goal, but then back comes Patrick Mahomes, and They drive it right back down the field on their second drive. Scrambles around, finds Kelsey almost in the exact same spot, give or take a few feet, where Kelsey was when they beat the Bills in overtime. Now it's 14-3. The Bengals punt again. And then on the Chiefs' third possession, they score their third consecutive touchdown. This time, Mahomes finds Hardman on a little out, out flat pattern to the end zone. And if you guys want to guess who he's covered by, you got it. Eli Apple, my favorite cornerback in the league. I feel kind of bad picking on this guy because uh, not that I've followed the, the Bengals a ton this year, but all reports are he'd been having a pretty solid year. It's just every time I turn the TV on, and this dates back to when he played for the Giants, it just felt like he's always getting torched. And the the playoffs have reinforced that thought in my mind. So after that Hardman touchdown, Bengal, or sorry, Chiefs are up 21 to 3. 
I thought it was over. I wrote a note down to myself saying, is the route on question mark? And it looked like it was. I mean, the Chiefs looked unstoppable. The Bengals were were struggling a little bit. I mean, they'd scored the field goal, but other than that, hadn't done a whole lot with it. I thought the route was on. I thought it was going to be Patrick Mahomes running and gunning all over the field, and I turned out to be a little wrong. That's uh, That happens quite often with me, but the Bengals were able to find an answer. They got a little screen out to P. Ryan, and he scored a touchdown. They make it 21-10, so I'm thinking, okay, they're not going to totally run away with this. I don't see the Bengals really getting themselves back into it, but you never know. And then... And then we get to the end of the half. They get a pass interference in the end zone. Nine seconds left. Chiefs are on the goal line. No timeouts, though. Nine seconds on the goal line. Their first play, they run that little kind of, they rolled out Mahomes to the left and tried to kind of flip something in there. It's a play I've seen them run, and you kind of get the guy kind of trailing Mahomes. They can kind of pitch it back to sometimes, but it just never materialized. And then the next play, they ended up dumping it back behind the line. He gets tackled. There's no time left. They don't score. Right in that moment, it felt like uh, one of those huge momentum-changing moments. Like, you stop them from scoring. It goes in a half, 21-10. You know, worst-case scenario with the Chiefs, you're thinking they got nine seconds left. And here's where I'm going to jump in and tell Andy Reid, Super Bowl coach, possible Hall of Famer, how he should have done his job because, you know, I'm, I've am i got the football mind for it, not him. So with a, bear, with a grain of salt, let's take this here. But it was kind of surprising that they didn't go, like, two passes to the end zone. Maybe hit a fade. You, you got Travis Kelsey. You'll use Hill on some speed in a crossing route. So I, I was a little surprised in how they handled it, and they threw two balls that the receiver wasn't in the end zone. I know the second play – that was probably not the intended intended uh, receiver and where he was going to be, but it, it was peculiar to me, and it, it kind of plays back into that old Andy Reid doesn't know how to handle the clock thing. And again, far be it for me to tell Andy Reid how to coach a football game, but I thought that was a, a little bit of a questionable questionable situation there. And, you know, you could make the argument that that's where the whole game changed, and I think it did. If you ask me where that game changes, right there, the Bengals get that stop. They go in just down 11 instead of 14. Boomer may or may not agree with me. I don't know if that's a disagreement or not, but he he feels some sort of way about it. So the Bengals get the stop. Then we head to halftime. Just a quick little aside about the halftime show. That was incredible. Setting up down on the field, whoever it was, it Walker Hayes or whoever the, the country artist is, I can't even remember who it is. He's playing the Applebee's song. Nobody on the CBS halftime team can hear anything. Half of them can't hear each other talking. Just an absolute debacle. And it was hilarious from start to finish. I would imagine some producer is either getting fired or somebody was up one side of them and right back down the other. So coming out of the debacle that was the halftime show, the, the Bengals did the, the, the thing they needed to do, and they kept the momentum their way. They got a stop in the first drive for the Chiefs right out of the half. Chiefs got the ball. They didn't do anything with it on that one. But then they got another stop. Forced back-to-back punts on back-to-back drives by the Chiefs. Then they get the field goal to make it 21-13. So now they're kind of in now they're kind of in shouting distance. One score game. Two plays later, Patrick Mahomes gets tipped, picked off at the line by big number 92, Mr. Hill. That leads to the game tying, well, the touchdown wasn't game tying, but the touchdown that led to the game tying two point conversion. Burrow, Joey B, finds his favorite target, Jamar Chase. They end up getting the two point conversion. Now it's 21 21, and it's a whole different ball game. The Chiefs punt again. You really think that the Bengals really have it going their way now? Joey B throws a bad interception, but that Bengals defense showed up again. They force another three and out. You can't underestimate how good this Bengals defense played in the second half. After getting kind of run over on those first three possessions, they get that goal line stand, it kind of energizes them, and they played some great defense in that second half. Hold the Chiefs to three points. So they trade field goals. 
And Mahomes took a awful sack on the field goal that the Chiefs made right before the Chiefs made the field goal to send it to overtime. They were at, down in the you know the inside the twenty, I believe. And next, you know, he takes a fifteen yard sack. I mean, he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's an MVP. He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league for the next god 10, 15 years. However long he can stay healthy, you'd have to imagine. He's got to know better than not take that sack. Um, didn't didn't hurt him too much, but it really could have. So we go to overtime. And right in overtime, I believe it was the second play. It wasn't the first play. I think it was the second play. My man, Eli Apple, in a little bit of a theme for both games, he has an interception that's going to end the, end the game, hit him right in the hands, and he just it looked like he wasn't ready for it. And, man, not a good day for my man, Eli Apple, unfortunately. So in the long run, not gonna he's not going to feel too bad about it because on the very next play, uh, Bates breaks up the pass. Bell comes down with the interception, and now the Bengals got the ball back, and all they got to do is kick that field goal to win. They're able to move the ball down the field and get uh, Evan McPherson in position to kick the game-winning field goal, and he does just that. Somewhere, whoever was the man who said the Bengals should draft that gentleman is patting himself on the back or maybe even getting a couple pats on the back from other people because that guy has been nails in the in the postseason. So, like I said, Bengals in the second half only allow three points. Mahomes, who was great in the first half, not so much in the second, was 7-13 for 59 yards, an interception, and two sacks. Very different than the 19-26 for... Uh, 216 and three TDs in the first half. The Bengals did something to Patrick Mahomes that looked like it probably caused him a little trouble. They only rushed three 35% of the time. And as a Packer fan, I've seen teams do that to Aaron Rodgers. And as Rodgers has matured, he's learned to just kind of take the check downs and the dump downs and just kind of piecemeal it together down the field. So it'll be interesting to see if next year more teams employ that strategy against the Chiefs and, and come at them with just that three-man rush and dropping a lot of people back into coverage because it seemed to give them a little bit of issues and maybe he just wasn't ready to take the checkdowns. You know, the Chiefs like to push the ball down the field fast. So we'll see where that goes with that. But at the end of the day, Joey B and the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. When I was talking about Joey B being the next, you know, high-level quarterback in the NFL, I did not think that a couple weeks later I'd be sitting here mentioning his name as a starter in this Super Bowl in this season. So really excited to see if they can hang tough in the Super Bowl. Over to the NFC Championship game now. We had the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers meeting. These division rivals were playing in LA. There were a lot of 49er fans there, though. A lot of red, a lot of noise when good things happen for the 49ers. This game got off to a little bit of a slow start. Both teams opened with three and outs to start the game. Was no real chance of any scoring until about halfway through the first quarter when Stafford had driven down to the, uh, to the 49ers red zone and ended up getting picked off in the end zone by Jimmy Ward. Kayvon Williams got a hand on the ball, tipped it up. Jimmy Ward was able to come away with it, thwarting the Rams' chance for a touchdown there. The Rams were then able to break the scoreless streak a little over, a little under halfway through the second quarter. Matt Stafford found Cooper Cup for a touchdown in the end zone with about 8.46 left in the second. That put the Rams up 7 to nothing, and that was going to be a theme of what was going to happen with Matt Stafford finding Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup played an excellent game this year, this yesterday. The 49ers were able to answer. Debo Samuel, Mr. Do-It-All, running back, wide receiver, whatever you want to call him, he was able to break off a 44-yard touchdown off a little screen pass and, and tied the game back up for the Niners and kind of kind of lit the spark for this game here. <laughs> Speaking of Debo, he got hit pretty hard near the end of the second quarter. It reminded me of the old segment on ESPN Monday Night Countdown because Debo got jacked up. The 49ers were able to then kick a field goal to go up 10-7 going into the halftime. After we come back, there was, there was a kind of a big moment from the San Francisco 43. The Rams had the ball 
and they went for it on fourth and one. And Matt Stafford was not able to sneak it to pick up that first down. It just seems like, I think it was last week, Stafford wasn't able to, to pull off a QB sneak. So that was a big part of this game. Really felt like momentum was kind of shifting towards the 49ers with that one. On the next drive, Jennings, and I'm losing this first name here. I'll, I'll think of it maybe sometime later down the road. But Jennings picked up an incredible first down. It was third and 10 with about... 322 in the third, and Jennings fought really hard, got over the line, picked up that first down, kept the drive going. Two plays later, Garoppolo finds Kittle for a touchdown with just over two minutes left in the third quarter. Puts the 49ers up 17-7. Puts them up 10 points, two scores in a game that hadn't seen a whole lot of scoring and a whole lot of action. You wondered if that was going to be just a little bit too much to, to overcome, but the Rams got a lot of weapons. They came back and answered right away. Stafford finds Cup again for a touchdown. Now we got ourselves a ball game again. 17-14, 13-30 left to go in the fourth quarter. Throughout this game, though, just to kind of take a little bit of a side, I mean, this plays in, but Sean McVay was finding ways to try and lose timeouts. Both of his challenges were just horrendous, I thought. And it could have really left them in a spot where they needed a timeout and then didn't have any. Didn't end up coming to be, but I thought it was terrible timeout management of Sean McVay in this game. It almost felt like, and I, I think one of the announcers said it, that it felt like he was trying to do too much, trying to really press it. And it didn't end up hurting him in the long run, but I, I thought it really could have. So, back into the game. The 49ers end up punting and... We mentioned Eli Apple dropping an interception earlier that could have led to the end of the game. Tart for the 49ers had a pick that hit him in his hands, almost like he stumbled a little bit and just didn't expect to be that wide open when he was catching it because he played for the team that wasn't on offense. And he dropped that ball, and it really that one's going to haunt him for a long time, I think, because on the very next play... Stafford finds OBJ for 30 yards up the sideline. And then they get a helmet-to-helmet tacked onto that. 15 more yards. That drive ends up leading to the Rams scoring the tying field goal. Comes back. Jimmy G, three straight incomplete passes. They have to punt. Not Jimmy G's finest hour here. Cooper Cup on the next drive picked up an incredible third down with about 318 left in the game. And that ended up leading to the go-ahead field goal. And I made a note when he did that, that asking myself, is he the best receiver in the game? I had him on my fantasy team this year, so I've kind of kept a pretty good eye on him. I mean, he was just a, he was a stats, just stats stacker this year. Filled the stat sheet, looked incredible. It's like he got himself a real quarterback and, and found out what life could be like. So they score the, the go-ahead field goal. Jimmy G ends up throwing that kind of weird pick to end it, and that ends up being the ball game. The Ford, the L.A. Rams beat the San Francisco 49ers to advance to the Super Bowl. They are back again just four years later after they went with Jared Goff and, and lost to, to Brady and the Patriots. And, man, what an upgrade for Matt Stafford. He goes from, you know, wallowing away in Detroit, no playoff wins, he wins three straight to go to the Super Bowl in his first year with the Rams. The Rams have the Rams have been in an all-in kind of mentality for like four years, four or five years, pretty much since McVay got there. And, I mean, it's paid off. They're, they're going to be going to their second Super Bowl under McVay. He got there, I think, right in 2017 when they – right after they'd moved to L.A. So the Rams heading to the Super Bowl – against the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think that would have been the matchup you'd envisioned at the start of the year. I don't think anyone would have been surprised, that surprised with the Rams, but the Bengals for sure. So the Rams and the Bengals headed to the Super Bowl. Just some other NFL thoughts from the past week or so before we keep trucking along. We will do kind of a full preview of the Super Bowl next week, but just quickly, opening line is Rams minus three and a half. We'll look into the Super Bowl and kind of, like I said, do a preview next week, talk about 
bets for the game, prop bets, all that kind of fun stuff. So we'll get into that more next week. We're going to have time for that. So like I said, just some other things that happened around the league. Sean Payton announced he was stepping down as the head coach of the Saints. Uh, That was a little bit surprising. He's only 58 years old. He has been there. I believe this was his 16th season. So, hey, maybe the fact that they cast Kevin James to play him was just really a blow to his ego. I need to take some time and step away and just kind of rethink things and get it back together. But I have a little bit of a feeling we haven't seen the last of Sean Payton as an NFL coach. Things looked a little a little rough in New Orleans for the future here. So you may see Sean Payton pop back up at a, in a contender here in a year or two would be my guess. So other coaching news. Josh McDaniels is going to be the next coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, at least for now. We'll see if he follows through on that this time. But Josh McDaniels to the Raiders. And and another thing, and I meant to talk about this last week. COVID has disappeared in the NFL, and there have been stats about it. While the NHL and the NBA are having COVID tests, COVID pops all over the place. The NFL just said, you know what? The playoffs are coming. COVID does not exist to us anymore. We're not testing. I think they stopped testing vaccinated players a while ago. They stopped testing unvaccinated players. You know nobody's bringing up any symptoms. And I saw a great meme. If you've ever seen the movie The Town, which is a phenomenal movie with Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner in it and John Hamm, there's a scene in The Town where they're going to rob a – I think this is the bank robbery. And they're all dressed in these nuns outfits maybe this is when they're robbing the armored car either way it doesn't matter so they're all dressed up in these nun outfits and they open the doors they hop out of this minivan and there's a cop just sitting right there and the cop just slowly turns away and then i believe drives the car away and so the meme was the nfl the cop line was covid and then the cop says no thank you we no longer exist so no more covid in the nfl i thought that was a pretty funny meme that i saw um, also, reports out of Green Bay that the Packers are optimistic in bringing back Aaron Rodgers, that they had some meetings where they talked about the future, and the Packers feel good about that coming out of those meetings. And I believe the words were the Packers are optimistic about the future with Rodgers. So we will see what happens there. I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm, I'm just not getting, not getting excited about it. I'm not letting myself go there. Even if he does come back, that like we talked about, I think, last week, that team's got a lot of work to be done. I mean, they're second-worst cap situation in the NFL, but Rodgers would go a long way. But like I said, not letting myself go there. I'm not letting myself go there. And speaking of great quarterbacks, there was a report that the GOAT, Tom Brady, was going to retire. Quickly thereafter, there were kind of reports out of Brady's camp his father stated that Brady made no decision. The TB12 Twitter account deleted its, like, thank you, Tom tweet. So kind of mixed messaging there. I saw another great meme. It was the, the Michael Scott from the, uh, from the office when he's doing the snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. So I guess we got to wait a little bit to see what's going on there. Ian Rappaport did come back and say that the reports that Brady are, is retiring are true and that it's just the timing of it was not ideal and he didn't like the way it came out. Uh, some other funny things I saw. There was a gentleman. Let me pull this tweet up so I can get this correct because this deserves, this deserves to be read correctly. This gentleman, Tyler Lochner at Lochner NFL, said... Tweets, theory that I am 100% sure is right. Tom Brady just exacted revenge on Schefter for JLC, others for deflate gate coverage. That would be incredible if Tom Brady put out a fake report to Schefter, made it seem like he's retiring, and then just kind of gets Schefter slammed up against the wall for reporting something totally wrong. So that would be just absolutely incredible. But, But if this is the end for Tom Brady... There's no disputing that he's the GOAT of football. He may be the greatest team sport athlete of all time. Hard to start comparing him to people like, you know, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather, Michael Phelps, you know, Venus Williams, 
or sorry, Serena Williams is a good one, right? Um, you know, Federer and all people like that in the individual sports, but man, team sport athlete, it, it's hard to, to say somebody else, you know, Michael Jordan, Bill Wall, uh, not Bill Russell, maybe has won kind of the similar number of like t- championships, but if he's not the, he's within a small number at the top of that conversation. And I saw this as well. You could basically split Tom Brady's career into two. From 2000 to 2010, from 2011 to 21, and make two super uh, make two Hall of Fame careers. In his first one, three Super Bowl wins, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl MVP, six Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, QB of the third team to go undefeated in the regular season, record of 111-32 and as a starter. That's a 77% win percentage and 14-5 and in the postseason. Then if you come back in the second part of his career, 2011 to 2021, four Super Bowl wins, another NFL MVP, three more Super Bowl MVPs, nine more Pro Bowl appearances, just one All-Pro in the second half, 132-41 and 41 as a starter, 76% win percentage, and 21-7 and seven in the postseason. So just absolutely incredible stuff. And if that's the last of Tom Brady, wow, what a ride it was. The man has been in the NFL so long that there were five presidents over his NFL career. He first started playing for the Patriots when Bill Clinton was in the White House. So just an absolutely incredible career for Brady, if that's all. Okay, on to the Royal Rumble event from Saturday night. And I do have a special guest here with me today. The roommate is here to add her thoughts on that Saturday night of the Royal Rumble. Uh, started out with Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. Those two have had some great matches over the years, so I was expecting something good. I was not disappointed. I thought it was a good match. I thought it started out excellent right from the start with Rollins doing the shield entrance and using the shield gear. And I'm not that up on wrestling currently, but I think he's been kind of making some comments here and there throughout the build-up to this to kind of poke, poke at Reigns using some of the the shield stuff. So I believe the roommate has some thoughts on the entrance here and your thoughts are. I mean, I really think that we can't ignore that the introduction felt petty, much like a feud between two middle school little girls. Okay. So off to a hot start there. She had some hot, hot opinions right from the get go. So like I said, I thought this was a good match. I loved the spear countered into the pedigree. I know that's been done a hundred times between these two, but I always think that's a really cool, cool move. I didn't love the ending, but I know they were probably trying to get Reigns back to Brock. And I know Reigns was supposed to fight Brock at that day one pay-per-view, but he got COVID and couldn't do it. So I thought it was a good match. Uh, I did like that Brock kind of, I'm sorry, not Brock, but Reigns kind of snapped a little bit, kept the hold on, and then beat him with the chair. So I thought they made up for the the non-finish pretty good by doing that. Anything further from the roommate here? I would agree with that. I was disappointed with the disqualified situation. However, did love that Reigns came back with the little lip curl, it ain't over till it's over, and led into the chair. Yeah, so that's good. We're good on that one. So let's move on to the women's rumble. Right from the start, I'm going to say this was my favorite women's rumble. I think this is their fourth year or so. I've thought in the past that the women's rumbles have been kind of clunky and, and just didn't do that much for me. But I thought this was a very good one. I know you had some thoughts on the announcers for the women's rumble. I believe they were the raw announcers. It was Corey Graves. Somebody I don't know in Byron Saxon, and you kind of wanted something to say about them. Oh, absolutely. The outfit choices for this evening with those three men were very questionable. We had uh, marble countertops, a Joe Rogan wannabe, and a banana. And I would agree. This was my favorite women's Royal Rumble match ever. And it was more than just a whole bunch of women's, women in scantily clad clothing slapping each other. Felt legit. While we're talking about some of your clothing bugaboos, I guess you could call it, of the some of the entrance, we started out with Sasha Banks, and then the second entrance was Melina, and I believe you had some some harsh thoughts for Melina. 
absolutely very disappointed in, in her choices entering the ring. Are you having a wrestler entrance or a porn star entrance? What am I watching? Uh, yeah, so I guess she's not a fan of Molina and her famous entrance. Little does she know that that is kind of her calling card. So uh, a couple other p things. Uh, Ivory returning as right to censor Ivory. I loved that. Right to censor was like the group I loved to hate as a little kid. So I thought that was really cool seeing her as the right to censor version of herself. Like I said, good match throughout, but, you know, the big news, obviously, Ronda Rousey comes back unexpected. I don't know if that kind of been leaked or not. Like I said, I haven't been paying that much attention, but I thought that was really cool. Uh, I mean, she brings brings eyeballs to it, so that's, uh, that's always going to be somewhere they're going to turn to that. But I liked it. I liked the finish. I liked Rousey. I was a little disappointed. Bianca Belair didn't get any, didn't get much to do, but, you know. So, so it goes sometimes. Any additional thoughts on the Women's Rumble? I was disappointed as well with Bianca. She's probably one of the only one that I, ones that I don't hate that was out there. So I was sad she didn't get to do more. And I was very disappointed that we went with Ronda for the win. How boring. We differ in our opinions there. I think Ronda was the right answer. The next match was Becky Lynch versus Dewdrop. Not going to lie, I thought that match sucked. I barely watched it. I guess during that match... The WrestleMania sign had caught fire from the pyro from the Women's Rumble and was dripping some sort of things were falling down into the crowd. So the crowd, I guess, was really out of it because they were paying attention to the sign that was caught on fire. But had they not been distracted, I don't think that match was much to write home about. And like I said, I have almost nothing to say. I barely watched it. Next was Lesnar and Lashley. I mean... Brock looked absolutely unrecognizable. I'm not sure if we're going through a midlife crisis or what is happening with that hair. I didn't even know who it was. I had seen Brock with his new look, and so I was not as taken aback. That This match was okay. It, it was pretty obvious that they were just getting the title back off Brock so they could do some other stuff with him. I did think the end was kind of creative with... Uh, with Reigns coming back in, and then Paul Heyman's a traitor now, so they've got the revenge angle set up for Brock. I like that Brock moved out of the way of the spear from from Bobby Lashley. I've seen Brock get speared through that you know the sidewall so much that he should have caught on. As you can hear, Boomer's pissed in the background. He's trying to eat through the wall. Um, he's licking the wall now, so you know our dog's normal. But yeah, I like the the Heyman's a traitor angle. Gives Brock kind of that revenge streak to come back at it. So that match was, like I said, it was okay. They were obviously using it as a vehicle just to kind of get on to something else. Uh, there was the match with uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix, Elmira, New York. Beth Phoenix and The Miz and Maurice. Again, it was okay. There wasn't much going on. I didn't pay a ton of attention. I did think it was cool that they did... Edge and Beth Phoenix did her finisher at the end to do the double the double move finish win. And like I said, not a whole lot to, to go into there. It was it was fine for what it was. It I was paying attention on and off, but I didn't really lock in and think too much of that one. Then we go to the men's rumble. AJ Styles, I think, is still the best wrestler in the WWE. I was disappointed that he got uh, tossed a little early. I thought he, him being around at the end would have been cool. Let him do the kind of the Iron Man run. But that was not to be for him. The first 20 or so entrants I thought were pretty average. The, the one that uh, did kind of catch me off guard, I didn't know this was happening. Johnny Knoxville came in when I heard the Jackass theme song. It took me a second. I was like, hang on, that's the Jackass theme song. And out comes Johnny Knoxville. Who, according to the roommate, you thought he was... Uh, Looked like a toothpick and was just taking blows like a little bitch. See, I thought he took those blows uh, very well. I thought some of those shots he took from AJ were pretty stiff. So, props to him for, for taking those pretty hard shots. And Montez Ford was way up in the air on that frog splash that he delivered to Johnny Knoxville. Any other Johnny Knoxville thoughts from you while we are kind of touching on that? Like I said, the first 20 or so entrants were pretty pretty poor. I thought the uh, the match really picked up some steam when Drew McIntyre came in. He came in at 21, and then they kind of filled the ring with the, the studs. They had Drew McIntyre, KO, 
Rey Mysterio, Kofi Kingston, Big E, Bad Bunny showed up again. I, the dude seems to like wrestling, I guess, and, and does pretty well at it, so I, I guess I won't badmouth him too much. Shane O'Mac, we could probably do without Shane O'Mac showing up every couple months anymore. Crowd pop pretty big for Orton, and then obviously the surprise of the night, Lesnar comes back in at 30 and uh, goes on to win the match. Um, before we got to the end of the match, Kofi did make a little whoopsie trying to get his signature. I get tossed, but I don't. my feet don't hit the floor and I'm not eliminated. Looks like he couldn't just pull it off and they had to just eliminate him there. So I actually did like Brock winning. I'm a big Brock Lesnar fan, so I know everyone else always complains that Brock's boring and everything like that, but I liked it. I think the Brock Lesnar revenge tour to go back at Reigns will be good as opposed to the, you know, Brock's the beast and Lesnar always has to just, you know, be Lesnar and then Reigns comes and gets him. Any other thoughts on the 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 rumble from the roommate? You know, it, for a real twist, I like the women's more than the men's. Very entertaining. It's always a great time. I hope we keep it on Saturday. I love it. You enjoy it a little more with some adult beverages and not having to worry about Absolutely waking up the next do. day. Absolutely do. Yeah, and I did. I like the like I said. I like the. I think this year I like the women's rumble a little better. The the first half of the men's rumble was a little little slow before those last ten or so entrants came in. So that is our wrap up on the Royal Rumble. Flyers update time. A little good with a little bad here this week. While the Flyers did record their thirteenth straight loss when they lost to the Islanders on Tuesday, that doesn't matter. The Flyers have ended the losing streak. And they did it with an overtime win over the LA Kings on a Scott Lawton goal off a putback off a Cam Atkinson shot. And ladies and gentlemen, the streak is over. The Philadelphia Flyers have won, baby. Watched just about all of this game. I missed the first little bit of it. But they did everything in their power to continue on the same trend that they have been continuing on and finding ways to lose games in the most amazing ways possible so cam atkinson scores his second goal of the game on a shorthanded goal while the kings are on the power play he scores a shorthanded goal second of the game for him puts the flyers up three to one and you're like man is this gonna happen they've created some space 30 seconds later 30 seconds later the kings come back and score and make it three two and I was just like, oh, yep, it's happening. The, the Kings will score late. We'll go to overtime. And if we don't get out of overtime with a win, we go to a shootout. And we know how those go for the Flyers. And sure enough, 37 seconds left in the game. Kings put the extra man on. And they scored the game-tying goal. 37 seconds left. And away to overtime we go. But just like the Kembe Matumbo and that commercial, the Flyers said, not today! We are gonna win! And the Flyers did pull it out. So, that was a good start to the Saturday. So the Flyers win, the losing streak's over, I'm sure they'll start a whole new one. But, in case they you know don't want to, they can win on Tuesday. That would be back-to-back. -back. If they win a third, that's what's called a winning streak. It has happened before. Also on Saturday, we had a Saturday finish on the PGA Tour. Not going to lie, I liked the Saturday finish because then it got out of the way of the NFL. But it was a little weird throughout the week. I felt like I didn't watch as much golf because it was going on through like so much of it throughout the work week. So I really only watched a lot on Saturday, watched the final round. It was a, it was a great leaderboard. Luke List, the eventual winner. He uh, won over Will Zalatoris in a playoff. So, Lyft, Zalatoris, Jason Day, John Rahm, Pat Perez, Justin Rose, all names up on top of that leaderboard. So, it was a good finish on Sunday, uh, Saturday. I'm going to have, I'm going to probably say Sunday about four more times during this, but good finish on Saturday. Uh, Luke List, Sunday 66, then has to wait around for two hours before the playoff. Uh, Zalatoris ends up going into the playoffs. Couldn't make the, the putt on 18 to, to force to give himself to win. And they kept saying throughout the broadcast that Will Zalatoris has gained 15 pounds. Where? Where? The dude's a twig. Like, if he gained 15 pounds, 
he must have been eight pounds before. So, so we have a playoff, uh, another playoff here on the PGA Tour already. You know, after playing seventy-two holes, and then we go to the playoff. Zalatoris and Luke List hit it about six inches from each other in the bunker. So we had a whole bunker gate situation there. <clears throat> List was able to hit first. Zalatoris ends up cleaning up the bunker, so it takes forever for that to happen. But after that, Luke List hits it to 11 inches. The man with the shaky putter said, we're not putting this. If you got a putter that's not always your go-to, you just hit it so close you don't have to worry about it. So Luke List hits it to 11 inches. Birdies the par 5 18th in the playoff to win. He walked right up there and said, I'm just going to putt this out. I'm going to finish this out, and I'm not even waiting around to have to putt this 11-incher. Zalatoris was unable to make the putt, so Luke List with his first PGA Tour win. I feel like I know way too much about Luke List because I have a friend who bets Luke List every week on the PGA Tour, it seems, and every week we have to hear him text us updates. Luke List hits it to six feet. Luke List missed the putt by two feet. And that goes on for at least the first 36 holes. And my God, you'd think Luke List never made a putt in his life. And the most surprising thing of all of this, because I've heard that week in and week out for like, this feels like the last three years, Luke List led the field in strokes gained putting on day one. Now, I don't know if he got how that all works out, if they just split it by course because they're playing separate courses. But Luke List has been working with a, a putting coach in the offseason and says he feels much better over the putter. And if that's true, he'd be a guy to look out for because he peers it around a golf course. And, and I'm not kidding. The updates we get from our friend in our group chat, it's it's every week, and it's Luke List hits it to this and misses the putt. Luke List hits it to 8 feet, 6 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, and never makes a putt. So, I mean, if he starts making half of those, he's going to be in contention a lot. So, fun golf tournament. Like the Saturday end. Didn't like the Wednesday start. So, guess some good with the bad there. So, Luke List, your first time PGA Tour winner, brings home $1.5 million as the champion of the Farmers Insurance Open. Now for my passing thoughts for the week. The big one for, for my brain this week was the Tyson Fury Dillian White purse bid happened on Friday last week. So for those not sure what a purse bid is, in boxing, Tyson Fury is the holder of the WBC World Heavyweight Championship. So one of the four belts, he's the holder of the WBC. The WBC had mandated that Dillian White was the mandated challenger for him. In the event of mandatory challengers, if the two fighters cannot come together with an agreement, it goes to what's called a purse bid, which means the WBC accepts bids on how much any given promoter would want to pay for that fight, and then those fighters split, it, split that money up accordingly for their purse. In this situation, it was going to be an 80%, 20% split, 80% going to the champion Fury, 20% going to Dillian White. The winner of that was Frank Warren and Top Rank, who co-promote Tyson Fury. They bid $42 million, outbidding the next highest bidder by $10 million. So Tyson Fury, and there have been a couple of different reports on how this money's getting divvied up. There might be a 10% hold for whoever wins the fight, but let's just go with the 80-20 situation here. Tyson Fury's going to be getting a career-high payday of $33.6 million and $8.4 million, also a career-high for Dillian White. You will remember just last week, Francis Ngannou was kind of embroiled in a little bit of a battle with the UFC. I believe they figured about $2 million was his payday for his, for his time as the UFC heavyweight champ. So large, large numbers of, of money there. It's no surprise that a lot of... A lot of top-level UFC guys want to do a little boxing against some high-level boxers, even if they may not have the most competitive chance at it. The paydays far outweigh what's going on in UFC, but as you know, you don't always get the best of the best in boxing. And while this is a good fight, don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll be hovering over the buy button when I'm sure they put this on pay-per-view, but I mean, this isn't, a, this isn't the best fight that can be made. There was... They were trying to make step aside, trying to get step aside money around for Anthony Joshua and Dillian White to put together Fury Usyk to have the undisputed title match. Um, that would have meant 
Joshua would have stepped aside for one fight and got the winner, and then a, a real tough thing would then they had to have Dillian White step aside for two fights, which is at least a year, probably if not more. So we got a decent fight with Tyson Fury and Dillian White, and it looks like Anthony Joshua and Usyk are going to fight each other as well. So hopefully we get some conclusive decisions there, and we can move to an undisputed fight at the end of twenty twenty two. Probably won't happen. It is boxing after all. So. But they are targeting that for April in the United Kingdom. I'm guessing that'll be at a big soccer stadium over there that they will probably sell out. They love their they love boxing over there. So it will be a cool event that I'm I'm looking forward and I probably will end up watching. I stumbled across this when I was just I don't even know how I did. I saw a post by Rob Deerdeck, I think on Facebook. And it got me thinking of the old show Robin Big. And I YouTubed Robin Big and I found like a 20 minute best of hits of Robin Big and I was crying laughing while I was watching that. That is an incredible show. If you've never seen it, I suggest you look it up. Great show. Probably in the top five best 20 minutes of my of my week last week was those 20 minutes when I watched Robin Big. Watching the football game last night, the Rams game, they did a cutaway at one point into the crowd. And they're showing celebrities, the mayor, the governor, Leonardo DiCaprio popped up. And the one thing all of them had in common was none of them were wearing a mask. Well, Leo was wearing it like a chin strap. And it was just funny to me. You know, rules for thee, not for me. And Magic Johnson posted an Instagram post talking about being in a suite at the game. And he listed off who's there with him. Governor of California, Gavin Newsom, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti, San Francisco Mayor London Breed. He mentioned a couple billionaires, a partner, Rob Lowe, who I do really like as an actor. I'm not trying to pick on him, but he was part of them. And, of course, none of them have masks on. I'm, like, 98% sure there's still a mask mandate in L.A. County, and these guys are all hanging out at the at the game maskless and not obeying their own orders. So, And I, I did definitely see that. L.A. County is going to try and stop a super spreader event at the Super Bowl by handing out N95 masks to everybody and that being a requirement, but not for the governor and the mayor and everyone who makes the rules. So rules for thee, not for me. Um, also, oh, yeah, this was a cool one. The Bengals have as many playoff wins this year, and, you know, that's their only playoff win since 1991. They have as many playoff wins this year as the Dallas Cowboys do since 1997. So, sorry for that little little shot at you guys, Cowboys fans. I didn't mean to make it personal, but your team sucks. Uh, also, I was out and about last week, and I parked next to a car, and as I got out, I look over at it, and this car, I don't know if it was garbage or personal effects or if somebody was moving. I think it may have, may have been a mixture of all three, but there was definitely some... Fast food bags. You can know they were fast food bags because they saw the grease stains on them. This car had shit piled to the windows, to the roof, in every possible crevice of this car except for the driver's seat. Like, if you wanted to go ride in this car with whoever was driving it, not possible. Shit piled the entire way. I'm just looking at it, and I, I, was, I was miffed. I wanted to sit there. And just see who came out and got in that piece of shit. But I was kind of worried they were a serial killer. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my one quick picture sideways, block the phone so no one can see I'm doing it. Because in case they are a serial killer. And, and then I'm going to get out of here because these people have got to be a loose cannon. Because it was one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen ever in my life. One other thing that I saw on Twitter, thought this was funny, uh, Joe Biden is the single largest all-time recipient of contributions from pharmaceutical and health product industry. He's received a little over, uh, just shy of $9 million, $8,872,000. Uh, second place, uh, former President Barack Obama, $5,793,000. Obviously, inflation is going to get that up there, but it's funny. Pharmaceutical companies like to buy people off, and they, uh, they go right to the top, as it seems. Um, what have I been watching? We finish all our Pierce Brosnan, James Bonds. And I just want to take a quick minute. Pierce Brosnan is a good James Bond. Don't believe what anybody tells you if it's to the contrary. He's definitely better 
than Timothy Dalton. I think he's better than Roger Moore. He's not quite Connery, but he's got at least two good movies. His two bad movies are decent movies for about half of them. They kind of lose their way, but Pierce Brosnan slander is James Bond. I will not stand for Pierce Brosnan is a good James Bond. Um, Ozark. Ozark is fucking awesome again this year. So check that out. I'm almost through this like first half of the, the last season here. So really excited to do that. Also in Cobra Kai, there is a scene where Johnny Lawrence is doing a training montage and he's training to Burning Heart. And you may remember Burning Heart from Rocky Four when Rocky's landing in Russia. That's the song playing. And I was, like I said, that's my treadmill show. So I'm running on the treadmill as that's happening. So it was a nice boost to get me all pumped up to finish my run as that came on. And last other thing, the MLB Hall of Fame happened. Barry Bonds, Roger, Cle- Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling did not get the necessary votes. A-Rod didn't either, but he still has a couple more years. Bonds, Schilling, and Clemens will not go into the Hall of Fame. And that's just an absolute joke. I know steroids, blah, 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 blah. Everybody was doing steroids then. Everybody. I don't care what you think of the steroids. It's bullshit that those three aren't going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Chinley's not even from steroids. They just don't like him because he doesn't agree with them. So Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, not going into the Hall of Fame. Just an absolute travesty. That Hall of Fame's a bunch of crap now. I mean, it doesn't even matter. The, the baseball writers are such jackasses. I mean, when you got guys like Ken Griffey Jr. that aren't going in unanimously and Barry Bonds and Clemens and Schilling aren't going in at all, I mean, kiss my ass. Just, I'm done with baseball writers. They're losers, and they've ruined the Hall of Fame. And A-Rod's going to not make it, too, and that's just another travesty. I mean, everybody must have had some sort of inkling. I mean, I know I'm a little too young to remember, you know, specifically that steroid era, but, I mean, Nobody had a problem with it because baseball was almost dead coming out of the strike. But now they're going to sit on their high horse and act like they, you know, they know, nobody had a clue and they didn't enjoy what was going on. So baseball writers, kiss my ass. You guys are losers. All right. Closing time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you want T-shirts, remember, get in touch with me. If you don't know me, oldwaltzhouse at gmail.com, O-L-E. W-A-L-L-S-H-O-U-S-E at gmail.com. Let me know size and how many you want. We'll work on getting an order when we have it kind of ready in a final price. We'll get that all figured out and, and finalized. So hoping to do that by end, get all that finished by end of the week, maybe start of next week at the latest. So get that into me if you guys want a shirt. We'll be back next week. Going to preview the Super Bowl. Duke and UNC play this weekend, so I'll probably check that out. The Phoenix Open is this weekend. And with the Super Bowl preview, we're going to go through a whole thing, and I'll do prop bets, and I'll pick out like 25 bets that we'll we'll go and run through and figure out some good stuff. So thank you, everybody. Look forward to seeing you next week. This has been Old Wall's House. Peace.